our product is our product, and we repeat that product. It's, it's like a it's a, it's a product. I don't necessarily adjust my offering to different markets. It's very it's sometimes it's, you can call it branded development versus opportunistic development. Welcome to Design Makes Everything Better, a podcast about design as a process for making decisions and succeeding. Today on episode number one, Vince interviews David Wex of Urban Capital Property Group. They discuss architecture as product, the business of development, condo design, and insights from real estate development projects. Now, here's your host, Vince. Thank you very much, David, for uh, joining us on the podcast today. Pleasure. So Urban Capital, as a developer, has always caught the attention of architects. And I would probably be safe to assume that most people in the design industry have really noticed the work that Urban Capital has done just because of the buildings themselves being beautiful. But it also represents, a, and many of them, a particular way of looking at city building and of city living for the future. There's there's a great deal of writing even on your website that talks about futures of uh, or future belief systems in living in the city and what cities of the future could look like. And so urban capital really presents itself as a, a leading developer in, in Canada. How would you describe urban capital or do you feel some of those assumptions that I have as an architect fit within what you would see as urban capital? Well, I, I, I really like what you said. So thank you for that. And yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty good with what you said so far. Okay. <laughs> I, think, I think we're off to a good start. Great. I think uh, for sure, it's a differentiating factor for us. We've been around since, I've been doing this since the late 90s. So there was a lot of differentiation you could do back in that day. And to a certain extent, yeah. um, maybe design in Canada and North America has caught up a certain amount. Uh, bit to, or not fully caught up, but a little bit to other design-centric, you know, markets or uh, societies. But 100%, I think design is a calling card for us. And I've always prided myself and my partner as well on the fact that uh, design forms a big part of our offering. That could be interior design or architecture. Both, obviously, they work together and they need to. And landscape, obviously, an important element. So all elements of design are first factor of, of our offering. Mm-hmm. That and also, I would say, uh, branding and marketing all work together. Yeah. W- would you say that that was a business decision from the get-go? Or is that something that slowly evolved out of personal interest that, you know, in a taste in design that it just naturally occurred? Or is it that you saw a business proposition of which the work that you do would be more desirable from a customer offering point of view, just because it's designed beautifully. I think for me, it was more personal. Mm -hmm. I I really do. I, I, I've always had an interest in architecture. I've always had an interest in graphic design. So I think if I said that it was from a business perspective, it would be almost a post, I'm not sure how to say that, but um, an ex post justification. It's really, I wanted to do. So if you were interested in architecture, what led you into being a developer versus, say, being in the world of design specifically and like as a consultant? Well, I would say that many of my friends and people know me would say that I'm more a wannabe architect than anything. And uh, I just didn't end up going to architecture school, which may or may not have been Mm -hmm. a good decision at the time. 
But architecture's forever interested me and uh, city building, cities, all that stuff. So it is a bit of a personal journey. And mm-hmm. uh, certainly, I, I think we design or I design or develop buildings that for an individual market, and that's pretty important when I say that, they're very design forward. So what's design forward in the Toronto market or Vancouver, which we're not active in, or let's say Montreal, may be a little different than other cities, smaller cities, uh, certainly when we got there. So uh, this is a, a building like we finished in, in Halifax recently, Goresbrook Park, mm-hmm. uh, which I love and very, very yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's really beautiful. Thank you. Might not be so design forward in Toronto. Uh, there are mm-hmm. buildings that have been done that are similar. It, it's certainly elegant. It would take note, but it wouldn't be out out there in, in the Halifax market. I do think it's a uh, it's something that is noteworthy and also raises the bar that others hopefully will uh, look to to match or to exceed, and thereby bringing up the overall design of new buildings in or at least private sector buildings in Halifax right. and the building we're working on together, I think also on a smaller scale will hopefully, although you've done some great buildings in that market. And so I'm not saying that it's totally, you know, breaking new ground, but in a big, in, in a way, I think we try to, I think our business plan and my own personal endeavor is to try to make a statement with architecturally and design wise with the product we put on the market. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you, you were, you were saying that, um, you know, you're an architecture wannabe or, or what, yeah. you know, in my, in my experience, just working with you, I was really surprised, but also, you know, I learned a lot just in terms of your personal design direction to a lot of the work that uh, we ended up doing together. Like it, it's it, quite frankly, I have no reservations in saying this, but building that we worked on specifically, and I suspect that it's a lot similar to maybe some of the other projects that you've done, is so much you, not really Breakhouse. It is, it, there's a partnership there, absolutely. But I really, you know, in the architect architecture wannabe, like I would say that you are so much more a designer than I would say most architects even. Like just your your design point of view is very strong. Like do you always approach your projects with that independent rigor to your relationships with other designers? So it depends. It really depends. So like, as you know, we did River City with Socier Perrot. And yeah. uh, I would not tell your Socier what uh, he would, A, I would not, he would not care. So it doesn't really <laughs> matter. <laughs> he really wouldn't care. But uh, I mean, he'd be pleasant about it somewhat. But uh, no, he's not going to take any input from, from mm. me. How is that process for you? Do you do you enjoy that? Yeah. Just kind of stepping away from it a little bit. I just want to go back to the other point. Sure. You know, we Halifax architects or architects in other cities, yeah. and sitting in like maybe different degrees, but other cities we are. There's not as much of our. First of all, we have a product. So one of the things that uh, I think is interesting to note about us is I I have a product. As you yeah. know, we have a spec sheet, uh, we have a spec document. We have a certain product and we put that product uh, into every one of our buildings, regardless of the market. And if you don't like it, you don't buy it. So yeah. for example, we built a building in Saskatoon. It looks exactly like the inside of the building in Halifax or Toronto or Montreal, even River City. You wouldn't, if you didn't look outside, you wouldn't know which one you're in. It, it did super well. I mean, its location was uh, 
prime for that city. It hit at the right time. We sold it out. Mm-hmm. We did very well on that project. But people in Saskatoon who are, you know, by and large conservative, and this was the, you know, investment bankers, lawyers, politicians of that city, yeah. are living in a glass condo with concrete ceilings and exposed ductwork. I mean, mm-hmm. this is not what they were expecting. And although it's what we sold, I guess what I'm saying is our product is our product. Yeah. And we repeat that product. It's, it's like a, it's a, it's a product. I don't necessarily adjust my offering to different markets. It's very, it's sometimes it's, you can call it branded development versus opportunistic development. Mm-hmm. That design is what we sell. Now we do make some concessions here and there to different things, but to a certain extent, we come into a market and, and so there's a little bit of explaining to do to our designers. I was like, hey, this is our product. This is the, the spec direction you take. This is how we do things. We've, you know, and a lot of a lot of architects, I will say, who we work with initially, like you guys, are like, oh, this is gonna be great. This is a developer who is sophisticated, does good stuff. We can try some crazy ideas. And yeah. a lot of times we'd be like, Yeah, we've tried that crazy idea. It doesn't work. And thank you, but <laughs> you know, we we really have given it a good shot. Yeah. And trust this, you know. So there is a little bit of like our team is we know our product, and we, and as you know, sometimes we say to you guys, guys, we're going to sketch up these units. Mm-hmm. We know what we want, and mm-hmm. uh, no no ill will or you know disrespect intended, but we're just going to end up there anyway. So yeah. I don't think I'm you know you you will deny the fact that at some point you're like okay. Dave Wex, enough. We can't afford to keep doing these charrettes on uh, like design with for your building. Yeah, just tell us what yeah, you want. I have no yeah. idea what you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so I'm aware of that, and yeah. we have the capability to to get there. Yeah. With uh, I'll be honest with River City, that building was designed from the outside in completely. Mm-hmm. The inside layouts were meant to bend to the outside form that Jules Saucier had in his head. Mm-hmm. Yes, he takes as a client, what I'm interested in, but it, it has to fit into his, um, his design idea and direction. And while there is some compromise, there's, there's not a lot. And I don't sit in a meeting and tell Perot, for example, this is how the building needs to look because right. it's not going to. Right. There are some details in that building that over time are like, we're not doing that detail again. Like sure. you need to change the way we, things are a little flexible. Yeah. Yeah, I would say in the context of what you do is develop a product. It became pretty clear to our office early on in the sense that, you know, as as designers that work with a variety of different clients from a variety of different fields, they are looking for oftentimes something that is very uniquely specific to their business and even in the development context like each of the units are very different from one building to the next but you presented something which was very clearly something that has been tested and proven which presented itself as a as a product and um which is no different than any other industrial design uh, endeavor in in many ways so from an architectural standpoint it's it's different to look at it that way because when we go to school, it's it's always very much mm-hmm. about uniquely designed places that are contextually uh, sensitive that are, and not saying that yours aren't because they're very much connected to the landscape, but there's always this conversation about the social responsibility on the street and what is it bringing back to the community and so on. What I would say is defined as like kind of architecture. And when I saw urban capital, I saw it more as that 
more so than a product. But there's not to say that one is better than the other by any stretch, because the work that you're doing in that sort of product realm is is significant and it's beautiful. But it wasn't what I thought it would be with regards to that architecture kind of component. How do you see the difference between what you do in the realm of this sort of product development, which is strong and, and clear in its brand and its language and its identity versus, say, other developers or other developments, which would be more unique from location to location? I, I think there's a few things. One is that uh, because I'm interested in architecture, therefore you get the benefit and the negative of the fact that your client has some strong views about it. So, and there's, we are trying to build a consistent brand. One thing I notice, for example, you see it a lot in large developers in Toronto, of which in, uh, I mean, we're, we're a, I would say a mid-sized Toronto developer, but of the more traditional ones, you would have two arms, the high rise and the low rise or, you know, housing townhouses on the, you know, on the same website, you would have glass towers for the high rises and faux Victorian or faux Georgian townhouses and homes in the low rise. That to me is a muddled brand of an opportunistic developer. They're not trying to, they're trying to meet the market as the market knows itself and it's comfortable, not trying to bring the market anywhere. So in our case, yeah, I think every building is obviously unique. We haven't never taken a building and put it somewhere else. So it responds to its condition, its site constraints mm-hmm. and all that stuff and the design ethos of the, of the firm. But it is part of a consistent product. And we did architecture as product is something actually, I don't know if you are, you remember or you saw this, but it's on our website. But a number of years ago for the interior design show in Toronto, we did the centerpiece exhibition, which was your entire condo in a box. It's called Cubitat. I didn't see that actually. It's, it's on our website. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's super, super cool. It went viral around the world. So the Smithsonian contacted us to get it. It was basically like architecture as industrial product. You buy a box, right. just plug it into your, your space, whether that space is an outdoor platform in the country or mm. uh, anyway, it didn't work. I mean, everyone was like, are you going to do this? I was like, are you kidding me? This thing costs more. Right. <laughs> we have to get a flatbed truck and transport it in the middle of the, like at four in the morning on the Don Valley Parkway. It was just like, it doesn't work. But it was the idea of architecture as product mm-hmm. and the whole world also is prefab, the whole thing that never really happened. But to a certain extent on the continuum of everything's designed from scratch, bespoke to this is an industrial product, I tend to think of our of what we do as more towards the product range. And that mm-hmm. allows us to develop in multiple markets. It allows us to develop a 72-unit building in Halifax which is way too small for what we do uh, without, you know, a huge amount of management time because we have a team and the team knows all and, and everyone knows the details. Yeah. You have the known conditions that you don't have to worry about every single time you exactly. do a product. Right. We try to box those in. Right. So in the context of roles and responsibilities that a developer would have, where is it outside of what you provide for your customers or your the people who are are buying the condos are are as a developer would you also consider yourself to the point of view i guess to those that are buying it are you more of an in, like are you a, a guaranteed investment in your product or are you a community builder in your products are you a home builder in the realm of a product how would you slice up what you do as a developer? I think we're a home builder. We build we build homes. I mean, that's the product. You know, the homes come with a uh, 
a certain expectation in markets that we are active in mm-hmm. uh, because we have a reputation. Few like real estate development is not. There's not a lot of branding. There's not a lot of every market in Toronto. There are some good brands. Tridel has a great brand. Tridel's brand is a bit like Toyota. I would say solid, trustworthy. Not necessarily going to break out in any kind of design. Um, aesthetic you know it's not going to be a leading edge on that but you're going to have great quality great service like i don't want to be a uh, you know a shrill for trade out but that would be their market right yeah. and then on the other end you would have a bespoke developer that doesn't deliver or whatever i think we've got a good brand in the sense of you're going to get good design from us and we're a real line large developer that will stand behind their product by and large that's i tend to hope our reputation yeah. is and in markets like halifax where we're now embarking upon our third mm-hmm. building we have a list of people before we open who have bought from us before, who've heard or seen our properties. Like, yeah, we want to get in there. We have over a thousand people who are on a list to look at North when we open this weekend. So that's it's only a seventy-two unit building. That's great. About that. What is your relationship like with your older projects? I'm just kind of curious about how, in the span of a career, you know, and the future career that you have ahead for the new developments, do you still have? some kind of a relationship in some way. I don't know how else to describe it with the projects that you've you've done before. Like, do, do they mean anything to you or are they just put a photograph up and maybe you drive by it every now and again? Or for the cities that you don't go to, is just there's a photo of that development up on your wall in your office and that that's yeah. the extent of it. Well, some of them I can't look at it right. anymore. Like, honestly, I can't. Right. And some of them are like done 20 years ago are a little embarrassing mm-hmm. now because I wouldn't do the same. No, it's a bit like... <laughs> Some of them I can't look at, honestly, yeah. Vince. And then uh, other ones, River City, yeah. take that, for example. I, uh, we've been around for f- year 15. I, I, I can't look at it anymore. Like, I see the flaws. I see the, you know, and, and it's won tons yeah. of awards and get so much. So there you go. I, I probably will look at Gorsbrook, which I haven't seen because of the Atlantic bubble. And, you know, it's finished and occupied, and I haven't seen it in almost a year. And I probably, uh, from photos, I'm like, ooh, I, you know, so... It's, it's tough. It's like any old yeah. relationship, you know, it's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah well, they're just so personal so, to you, right? Like I, you know, there's a contractor in Halifax that has a tattoo of a diagram yeah. for each of the houses that he built. And yeah. Yeah. I hope he doesn't yeah. have too many. Houses. Hopefully he doesn't get too busy, right? Because it'll get pretty ugly. Yeah. Like, <laughs> keep in mind, we're condo developers, so it's, it is like a product. And, you know, we do sell it and then we warrant it. And after the warranty is done, you know, buildings that are, that we finished 10 or 15 years ago are, they're Mm -hmm. just buildings. I live in one in Montreal, like our, I live in, we have a condo there and it's awesome, but people in the elevator, it's, it was finished in 2006 and no one really knows who I am, which is great. When they, they went and rechanged the color scheme and the entire common elements, like, was I happy? No, but that was a personal choice I made 15 years ago. And now they change it, and it's okay. Right. I'm okay with it. What do you What do you see in the in the future for urban capital? Are you just seeing continuation of the similar condo type development, or would you look to grow in larger scale, do more river cities, for example, or even larger, or do you want to go into a smaller realm? What What do you see for yourself and for the company? First, so urban capital yeah. has two guides. It's me and Mark Reeve. The genius of our relationship is we each do our own projects. Interestingly, we don't collaborate because we would not have lasted 20 years had we done that. So we have a number of big projects. They usually have a moniker city in them. So M-City, River City, Cité Midtown in Montreal, which is a thousand units. I like doing those projects because you can really 
create a community and uh, an experience. The North Project obviously doesn't fall into that category. It's very much a, a boutique contextual yeah. building, you know, reflective of its particular location. But yeah, I would. I, I love the ideas of doing um, large scale projects. Those yeah. really excite me. You might have one like there's something that's on the percolating, maybe in Halifax that might actually be that, which is very oh, interesting for me. By and large, I, I would love mm-hmm. to do more of those. Are we going to morph into a hotel chain or a electric vehicle company? Mm-hmm. No, you know we're going to be condo developers. That's what we do. Not apartment. Like that. Not. <laughs> no, no, I don't mm-hmm. think so. How do you feel in terms of what? you've experienced in, you know, I've actually never met Mark, so I can only imagine with yourself that over the years, as the projects have grown and you've been up against all kinds of challenges with the city and with residents and, and so on, yep. do you find that it's it's what you thought it would be or is it has it changed over the years, the role of a developer and will it continue to change in a particular direction? I started this in the late nineties and I took a, it was a bit of a lark and uh, I guess in some ways I would never have thunk that, you know, we would have ended up doing it because I don't have a family that did real estate development or anything like that, or had the kind of money that, you know, you need to shepherd to do that. And you don't really need a lot of money. You need good, charming personality and some people who know people who might know people who might put some right. money in or something like that. So and that was how it worked. We also rode a, a big wave from, the early, you know, late nineties, early two thousands to now to be in the real estate development, urban real estate development in Canada. Wow. That was a great 20 year whole like uh, trajectory. But, um, Mark and I have, have really ridden a wave and it's, it's been great. And, uh, I, I think that going forward, we just want to, I think we just want to continue mm-hmm. doing that. And things have changed. Probably the biggest thing is the financial aspect of it. Which way? It's negative, negative. People don't realize, like we do a magazine every year. A magazine just came out. It's going to be on our website soon. We did a comparison of a project financially we did in 2003 versus now. Margins of doing a project in 2003 or 2000s, you you would have to be around making 15 to 20% of uh, your profit would be 15 to 20% of your cost to cover the risk. And that's, that's what the numbers usually look like. Now, if you get seven or 8%, it's a success. The, the amount of costs and by and large, what you will discover, not in Halifax yet, and I, I hope no one, no, no counselor or, or um, <laughs> staff are listening to this, but the amount of development charges that you see in places like um, you know, Toronto and Montreal and even Ottawa uh, that apply to a, a project. When we start in 2003, the city charges that you might have on a condo might be Ten or twelve thousand dollars. Now they're like a hundred and something. The various charges from development charges to Section thirty-seven charges to this fee to that fee are in the hundreds of thousands. So when people say, "Wow, like condo," you know, we were we were selling condos for four hundred bucks a square foot. Now are nine hundred. The reality is that that the vast majority of the increased costs relate to city charges, and it's like the city has taken the economic rent that has grown from increased prices and they're, they're drunk on it. Right. And it's been a great source of, of revenues and no one has to pick, raise property taxes and stuff like that. But probably the, the biggest change, things like city costs and also using development to, uh, to try to uh, obtain many social goods from affordable housing to environmental, to all kinds of 
of public goods. And all that does to a certain extent is, is raise the price of the units that you have to charge on the market. So when we came to Halifax a number of years ago, we were selling condos at 250 bucks a foot. Now it's 650. And even at 650, we will do not nearly as well as we would have done back in the day at 250 when the cost structure was totally different. So I think the big change is that people are doing development in many ways to keep their businesses running. And, and as I always say, no one cries for developers. This is like not a sob story, but that, that's probably one of the biggest things I would say has changed in the last 20 years. And the other thing, of course, we don't know is what is the impact, if any, long-term of you know, what's going on now with the mm-hmm. pandemic. So I think that has effects on, obviously, on the entertainment, restaurant, hotel, downtown office markets. And three, it has an impact on residential condominium markets. That's to right. be determined. Yeah, that's a small, you know, that's a small tolerance for, for error there, 7 to 8%. If anything. Yeah, sometimes yeah. we don't make it. Yeah. So the, the, the proportion of risk to reward is, is really kind of, swaying in the favor of you know fewer developers taking that you know that risk or you're saying like in the beginning of your 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 point on this that a lot of the initial projects that i say a developer would take on didn't really require a lot but now you're saying it it actually does require a fair bit of risk tolerance more so than say what it used to be or would you say that that's still kind of the same well, I think it is. It also means that there's less opportunity to experiment architecturally. You're going to be going with known, like risk return thing is, mm-hmm. is out of whack. Uh, and, but there's a lot of developers that a lot of people are, there's a lot of money in the market flowing into development. People think that it's yeah. easy to be a developer. When we bid on sites, we often don't get them because someone who doesn't have experience or knowledge or been through it thinks, yeah, I'll pay that for that piece of property. And then boom, you know, it, it doesn't work out. I, I'm not, I'm not griping. I'm just saying that's the, the, the biggest challenge uh, right now in development. Well, there's always challenges. When I started out, someone told me like, it's like pushing a big boulder up a hill always. Right. And I think that the challenges now are financial because there's so many costs and trying to keep up. To give you an example, Montreal right now has a 2020 rule. 20% social housing, 20% affordable housing, and 20% for uh, families. So that basically means that 60% of your offering needs to be non-market. How are you supposed to price the remaining 40% to pay for all those social goods wow. that the city wants? No one is against social housing or affordable housing or against, you know, like no one. How do you argue against that? But the fact is that the people in the basic market, the, the market part of the market that are, don't get the benefits of this have to pay for all this. And it's just very, very tough. So those are the kind of challenges we, uh, I think we face in the big picture over the last mm-hmm. 10 or 20 years. Would you say that's one of the, or the biggest misunderstandings of the role of a developer or the challenges of a developer would be, or how else would you, you say that, you know, the perception that everybody has of developers yeah. is that they're, you know, it's easy and it's, there's, there's loads of money and there's no risk. Yeah, yeah Exactly. So yeah, I think yeah. that's a big problem for sure. Yeah. And I know, um, uh, in Ontario, the, um, the builders association did a campaign, like a radio campaign of two, a year or two ago to, to educate the public on that. I think that that's, um, you know, that's necessary. I, I, I don't, the, Look, I don't, I'm not into griping and 
as I've said now countless times, even though I am griping, that is probably the, the hardest thing. The economics have, have really taken a hit. The aim by municipalities to fold social good into development and just the process of going through it. You know, you, you, you know we're about to get on a call with the city about approvals yeah. on, on our yeah. project, you and I, and we know the challenges that face there. I have a rule. I feel that everyone needs to be 80% happy. And, um, and if someone is 100% happy, some constituent, because development has a lot of constituents, right? It's got your purchasers, your investors and partners, banks, uh, city staff, your consultants who work hard and want to see their vision generally brought to light without massive destruction. And uh, all of them need to be 80% happy. And if, if one of them is 100% happy, then for sure someone's going to be 20% happy. So we just try to make the best of it. And, and it's a constant push and pull. That's just what it is, like any kind of business or development. And within the constraints that you face, mm-hmm. you want to build something good. And if you can achieve that and get most of your purchasers happy and everyone involved and they still want to work with you. Yeah, well, 80% is success. actually pretty pretty high. It would be a good life marker. If you can live 80% of your day, is pretty happy. I was on a call with the city of Ottawa staff and we, we have a project that's stuck in approvals. And it's a building that I think looks... Mm amazing in the heritage district and the city wants us of course to step the building back of the fourth floor it's a nine-story building and it just looks ridiculous and you know we had a finally a come to jesus meeting last thursday and i was on it and planning staff heritage staff said you know we're 90 percent happy with your building we just want you to do this and i'm like guys if you're 90 percent happy yeah. with my building approve it like that's 10 yeah. percent more than what i'm usually used to like so if i do what you're asking me the architect it's going yeah, to be zero percent right. happy with the building, right? It looks totally ridiculous. So we yeah. uh, we have to uh, probably wrap this up because we have that uh, other phone call to jump onto to make everybody eighty uh, percent happy there. Yeah. Um, so we just want to do exactly. this uh, fun sort of series of little rapid fire questions that uh, we we'll just kind of get a little bit more of a, a personal read on uh, on you and what you think in general. So okay. <laughs> just bear with us. It's it, it'll be fun. <laughs> So uh, what book do you most often gift? A Damn Good Advice by George Lois. George Lois. I don't know. You should know. He's like the ultimate madman, right? George Lois was the famous advertising exec, creative. So I can't wait for the gift. (laughs) I've got one. Okay. Most comfortable in suit, t-shirt, or barefoot? T-shirt and barefoot, I think. Yeah, definitely not comfortable in a suit. Favorite car? Uh, my favorite car is my little BMW 72 right. BMW yeah, 2002. I think I saw that one on uh, your website, right? Yeah. Uh, guests? Or, is, or a, 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 like a 70s oh, yeah. Citroen. Oh, the, the 70s, did they have the air uh, shocks? Yeah. Yeah, well, they had that all the time. But the one in the 70s that put the company out of oh, business, nice. I think it was the XM. Yeah. Perfect business it sense. like a rocket. So people yeah. come over for a visit. Do you cook or order in? Uh, if it's me, I order in for sure, hundred percent. Unfortunately, uh, you don't enjoy cooking. You strike me as a cook. I don't. I I, I enjoy being a sous chef. Uh, with okay. Tasks. <laughs> Peel the carrots or something. Favorite piece of industrial design. Well, these are good questions. So my favorite one is the Claire. Um, it's the stereo by. Um, and I'm 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 losing my mind. Yeah, with Claire yeah. Tom, the Canadian. They um, are they are hard to come across, but man, if you can find one, eh? They're they're just gorgeous. What thing do you uh, did you not know about, and once you got it, you could never live without? 
I'm not on social media. So uh, for the, the very reason that it would be one of those things that would eat my life up. So I'm, I'm totally mm-hmm. not on social media for the last 10 years would be one of those things that, you know, like, or, you know, like Netflix would have been when I started Netflix. Yeah. Like, oh my God, this is, this eats up my entire life. So, uh, right. but I can't think of anything um, else right now. What's one skill you have or a hobby uh, that you do that would surprise people that you might not even tell people about until today? I, I, I don't know. I guess um, I like to do, you know, go out clubbing with my friends is probably something that is probably age odd. <laughs> odd age. It's the best. It, it, age odd. It's the best it's thing. I love it. Yeah. That's the only thing in the pandemic, the only thing in the pandemic that's bumping right. me out. I mean, other than the fact of economic <laughs> death. All right. Last question. Favorite city? My favorite city is Montreal. It's just my favorite city in the world. Like, and I've traveled a lot. Yeah. Um, I just, I just it's, love it because I think it's so cool and uh, the vibe there. And I love working there. Then I, 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 mm-hmm. I'll tell you the cities I really love are the world's tier two cities like Lisbon or I haven't been to Melbourne. Cities that aren't mm-hmm. like top there, like out in the top there, but the cool understated cities that yeah. are just happy yeah. in their own that skin. Lisbon is amazing. Have you ever been to Porto? Yeah. Oh, yeah, it yeah. blows my mind. I, I love that, that place. Anyway. David, thank you so yeah. much for your time. It was nice to, to talk pleasure. to you in this platform uh, versus just window details and stuff. Yeah. Uh, it was a pleasure. And um, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you in a few minutes, I guess. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Design Makes Everything Better podcast by Breakhouse, a Canadian strategic design firm. This was episode one with David Wex of Urban Capital Property Group. A full transcript and show notes can be found at breakhouse.ca slash podcast slash one. Have feedback or ideas for the show? Drop us a line at podcast at breakhouse.ca.